0: You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. Since last episode, I've been on the road quite a bit. The highlight last month was spending a week out in jasper alberta i was invited out by the jasper park cycling association to teach a number of skills clinics for both kids and adults after covering my costs they used the profits as a fundraiser for the organization jasper is an amazing town with a great trail network but they lack a professional mountain bike instructor i'm excited about the prospect of returning next year and the experience got me thinking about how many other communities might be in a similar situation Now, as for the podcast, I want to thank Kyle Lawrence and the Shenandoah Valley Bicycle Coalition for their financial support. I'd also like to thank Drew and Jacob for their continued monthly support. As a reminder, you can donate to the show via PayPal. There's a link to that in the show notes. It really helps. I'm excited about this episode. I find my own advocacy work is more and more focused on cycling as transportation rather than mountain biking. That said, when the two things overlap, that's where my interest really peaks, and so with that said, as always, I'm your host, Brent Hillier, and this is episode 87 of Frontlines. I'm joined by Paul Perot. He's the director of operations at Bike Cochrane. Hey, Paul, thanks for joining me. Hey, Brent. Thanks for making time. Yeah, welcome to the show. And and just to kind of begin, I'd I'd love to know a little bit about Bike uh, Cochrane and, and the history with the organization. You know, how long has it been around for? What uh, what's the focus of the the group? Sure.
1: So Bike Cochrane is a nonprofit here in uh, Southern Alberta. We're just outside of uh, of Calgary in uh, in Cochrane, Alberta. Very similar uh, in topography to some of your listeners might be familiar with Boulder, Colorado. We're in the, the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And uh, we started four years ago with a mandate to make our town more bike friendly. And that's really where we got a start uh, with a group of like minded people who said, hey, look, we're in a beautiful part of the world. We like riding bikes. How do we make our town better? And that's manifested into a number of different projects we can uh, spend some time talking about, but a mix of trail focus, active transportation, uh, events, family focus, and
0: uh, bike park development as well. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely want to dig into to all of those. Before we do that, though, how long have you been involved with the organization?
1: Sure. Yeah, I got involved uh, a couple of years ago. I, uh, a couple of the board members I, I do business with, and uh, we're a number of us are, are engineers, and you know some of that might uh, influence how we see the world and how we think about uh, being data driven and uh, you know data driven decision making. And I was having a discussion with with one of the board members, and he asked me, you know, what, "What do you think about bikeability? You know, how how would you rate you know say the bikeability of a community?" and you know, I I design electronics for a living. I live in the world of data. And I said, oh, that's easy. You know, we take this metric and this criterion, and we pull it all together and we'd make a bikeability metric and then I'd make a map and I'd populate the map with all these numbers. And then we'd be able to say, this community is bikeable, that community is not. And here's some different ways to improve it. And so he challenged me, he said, okay, well, try that. I'd like a bikeability map for the town of Cochrane. Hmm. So I started digging into it. I I spent time uh, researching, learning active transportation literature, trying to understand uh, GIS mapping and all the different metrics. And it turns out it's not that easy in a fast growing community in Canada to actually develop a bikeability map. And so that uh, directed me to spend a little bit more time and try to better understand uh, the connectivity pieces and what's going on in our town. But uh, the net net was I wound up presenting to the board and the board said, you should be on our board and you should help us make this town more bike friendly. And so that was about two years ago and I've been our director of operations uh, ever since.
0: Interesting. So, you know, there's, there's obviously a number of resources out there to, to kind of pull data, but just walk me through kind of the nitty gritty details of that. I know, you know, Strava's obviously got heat maps and, and Trail Forks is a great resource if you're looking for kind of trail counters and that kind of stuff. And then obviously the on the ground trail counters are, are great. But, you know, if somebody's trying to, to, to understand the bikeability of their community, how would they go about doing that?
1: Certainly, yeah. So if you start digging into the the literature and the research, at least uh, here in North America, uh, what you'll find is it's relatively early days. And a lot of the early uh, bikeability metrics uh, came from a product called the Walk Score uh, and then Bike Score, uh, which then got bought by a commercial entity and it became a little bit more challenging to do research with. But if you dig into the metrics that they were using, a lot of it's things like uh, census data, for instance. And here in Canada, at least, most of our census data is only you know every 10 years or every five years. And so mm-hmm. in a community like Cochrane, which has been the fastest growing community in Western Canada for the last 11 years straight, where we've moved from a town of 5,000 to a small city of 35,000, uh, a lot of that census data that's 10 years old is really challenging to use productively. Mm-hmm. And so starting from that, Baseline and saying, okay, well, this is what would feed into a bikeability metric if you could get things like uh, your mode usage, which is a way of trying to understand, you know, how many people ride uh, their bikes, how many people walk to work, how many people would uh, be in a single vehicle, how many people would take, uh, you know, active transportation or, or transit for that matter. Those are the types of data that would help you to be able to say this community that's off in the middle of nowhere, that's impossible to get to without driving. Uh, you know, might not be necessarily bikeable, you know, and Mm. we talked about trying to build a uh, what we call the an Alberta bike metric, which I was trying to say, uh, if I can bike somewhere to have a beer, I consider my area to be bikeable. And you you look at some of these communities that get built with, you know, big, huge lots and giant homes, but there's no grocery store, and there's no, uh, you know, local pub, and there's no convenience store, even just to go get milk. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden everything you need to do to live your life, you need to get in a car. And that is the exact antithesis of being bikeable. Um, So, you know, starting from that standpoint and thinking about, you know, what makes our community bikeable, and then trying to say, well, what data can we use to derive that led me towards uh, Strava. And at the time, uh, Strava Metro was just starting, they uh, had a program where you could Subscribe to their data. It was something like $40,000 of license. And uh, so I wrote them a letter and I said, You're Strava Metro. You know, we are a young bike advocacy group. We're trying to make our town more bikeable. We don't have a bike transportation planner in our town, Mm -hmm. in our community. Uh, You know, larger areas, you know, Vancouver, Calgary would have a whole bike planning team. We don't. And so I said, We are effectively active transportation consultants in the sense that we're people on bikes. In our community, can we please have access to Strava Metro? And this was just before the pandemic. And they said, well, you know, sure, here's a program. We'll happily take you on and you get access to our data. And what that allows you in that type of a data set is to not just look at heat maps, but to also be able to understand, you know, segment data and say on a month to month basis, you know, what are we seeing on this transportation corridor? Uh, How many users are we seeing? Uh, What is the split of time, which is actually super interesting to try to understand, is this corridor being used for recreation? Are people biking on here on a Saturday afternoon because it's sunny? Or are they riding at five in the morning to get to work because that's mm. a safer route to come in from than it is to take a highway, for instance. Gotcha. And so starting from that type of a Strava Metro data set, you know, you start learning how to speak uh, planners' language. You start learning uh, geomatics information systems. You start being able to understand, you know, the usage counts. And what I'd say is, every data source. <laughs> again, I design data sensors. Every data source has its natural bias. And the natural bias that comes into Strava Metro is really down to demographics. Mm. You know, the bulk of people who are riding with a Garmin Edge bike computer, for instance, are, you know, (laughs) a particular demographic. They might be more likely to be in the 20 to 40 age range, more likely to be male, um, more likely to be very, very active. And so you start moving towards, okay, well, Strava Metro is one data set, but it's a really, Mm. really good data set. And what's super interesting about it is that if I, as a, an active transportation planner, decide, hey, I want to understand more about this corridor, well, I can't get any historical data for that corridor because I've only just installed a bike counter now. But yeah. what I get out of Strava Metro is the ability to look back in history and say, if I was brilliant and had thought about this corridor three years ago, I would have put a bike <laughs> planner here, I would have put a bike counter there, I would have put a trail counter there, but I can't do that. I can't look back in history. I can only look forward. And so Strava Metro helps us understand historical use uh, and with all the biases that comes in with it and then what we've been trying to understand is what are the right multiplication factors correlation factors to say you know this corridor based on our understanding based on our bike counter is more of a recreational corridor and so because of that would have say a 10 to 1 strava usage rate you know or a 10x multiplier based on the number of strava users in the space and compared that to what we actually count in the space And so trying to get that understanding of what's The Strava usage rate or what's the multiplier for our community in Mm -hmm. a recreation versus an active transportation corridor has been super helpful in the last couple of years because we've only just been able to acquire, you know, our first pedestrian counters, for instance, uh, working with our town, uh, but we've only got a year and a half worth of bike counter data. And so to try to fill in those blanks and to try to be able to say, well, this is what the Strava Metro data says, either on a uh, active transportation pathway or on a uh, mountain bike trail. Uh, how do I turn that into real numbers? You know, and what we found is, you know, a good number of uh, of grant bodies, a good number of uh, funding bodies care a lot about metrics. So it turns out, if you can speak the language of both the grant funding body, but also the planners who might be working in a given space, it turns out you're in a pretty good spot to apply for and actually receive additional funding to uh, to help yourself, you know, make your
0: community better. Yeah, very cool. I mean, it is interesting with that, the demographic stuff with, with Strava. Uh, I th- it's one of the reasons why I've stuck on the platform. I am not, uh, I do not care how fast or I should I'd probably preface that with how slow I am as a rider. <laughs> But it, it's one of those things yeah, where I'm often uh, out, right. yeah <laughs> I'm often out riding with my son, and i I think you know this is the kind of stuff that I want to make sure is on there. I look at it as as like voting, right, and I think you know we we deal with the same issues with not enough people turning out to vote, but I think I more people need to think about using some of these platforms, and it's a great way to kind of vote by riding and and i I would always stress that when it, when it would up with trail forks and and people riding on the trails is like. Just, just make your voice heard and, and, and get that information out there. And, uh, one of the things that I was was sitting in a, a, a transportation committee meeting, uh, in my municipality, uh, I think last week. And, um, one of the things they shared with us was, um, uh, we have a, a new bike share program. It's an e bike share program. It's it's run by Lime, but they put the the Strava Metro heat map right up next to the the Lime heat map, and because the Lime riders are capturing a huge swath of people, and every single ride, not just people that are necessarily tracking the ride on Strava um there was a slight variation between the data and it was really kind of interesting to see that these people who potentially didn't own a bike or were getting this this share bike for short trips or whatever it was they were riding on on slightly different paths than what you know your average bike commuter was was taking and so it was kind of neat to to see the difference between those two things those two user groups
1: and no, and I, I would totally echo that uh, for sure, Brent. It's been interesting both looking at the, the Strava data that we pulled down, uh, but also the, the data from our own counters. And we also have uh, a, uh, an e-bike and an e-scooter program in our small town. And uh, the, uh, the transportation planner who's working on that uh, project for our town has been willing to work with us to do more data sharing. And, uh, you know, anonymize data and try to understand both routing, but also, uh, decision making. Um, one of the programs, uh, that we decided to engage on with our active transportation committee was a bike to school project, uh, last year. And through, uh, surveying, uh, the 12 schools in our community, uh, we got really, really rich data, not just, you know, what community are you from? What school are you going to? And that gives us, uh, destination and origin. But also, you know, what are you finding are challenges or barriers in terms of safely uh, getting your, your child to school? And what was super interesting is trying to piece that data together and understanding why is this person who's going from this area of our town to this school complaining about the safety on this part of the network? Because there's zero reason they should be there. And what we learned from that project is that there's big value in us publishing what we call safe routes to school maps that help our community where, you know, you know we're, as I've mentioned, a very fast growing community, a lot of our residents haven't been here a long time. And because we don't have a wayfinding program on our pathways yet, and that is something that we applied for grant funding with our town to, to help resolve this year, we've got a lot of people who are places that they shouldn't be, um, because they simply don't know that there's a safer route out there, you know, and so one of the things that we can provide to our community is a sense of, look, we definitely don't have a perfect transportation network yet. But in the meantime, you know, here is the safest way we can figure out to get your kids from network A or neighborhood A into uh, into school B. And that's something that we published on our website last year and saw, you know, an awful lot of uh, engagement from our specifically elementary schools
0: in our community. Yeah, that's great. By Cochran, you know, sounds like this organization that's really kind of doing both of of the mountain bike advocacy and, and and just the cycling advocacy did one come first or was it always together
1: yeah it's a great question so when we when we first got started with by cochran one of the questions was how do we do a first project how do we show competency to our stakeholders to our community to our town to our town planners and say look we're a Legitimate organization where we don't want to be a a complaining organization who's just, you know, saying, Hey, (laughs) I, I want more pickleball courts, for instance. You know, we want to be a society that's saying we want to be part of the solution. And, you know, here's a plan. Here's a problem, but here's some potential solutions. And so one of the first projects that we took on was we saw a need in our community for uh for kids to have a place to ride their bikes safely and there there wasn't uh, a pump track there wasn't a flow track there was no there, at, at the time there was zero uh kilometers of official bike trails in our town lots of rogue trails lots of you know stuff all around but there really wasn't any form of a bike park and so we looked around uh found a few spots within the town's park network r- proposed to the town hey look we'd like to work with the town on building a bike park. And they said, that's great. We're not ready to engage with you yet. Uh, Maybe come back in a couple of years. We're still busy trying to keep the lights on because our town's growing too fast. They said, okay, well, I don't want to wait until our town's ready for this, So we approached a commercial developer uh, who happened to be the, la- the landlord of, of one of our um, one of our board members and said, look, you know, you've got some uh, some private land here that's not being used, that's targeted for future growth. Why don't we enter into a deal where we will build, maintain and ensure uh, a bike park on your land that can actually wind up being a really cool uh, feature benefit for your uh, other uh, le- uh, tenants. And, uh, you know, we'll build it, we'll, we'll fundraise for it. And so we put together $100,000 of uh, in kind and, uh, and donations and grant funding from a lot of different people in our community and built uh, a bike park. And that was our launch pad as, uh, as a bike society. And that's what we named it. So our launch pad bike park sees now hundreds of kids a day in the summertime and also inspired, uh, you know, our next micro bike park series where, you know, now our town is seeing, you know, success. They're seeing the numbers of kids there and they're saying, we'd like to work with you. And so we've entered into a uh, a stewardship agreement with our town and we're now building uh, what we're calling a pilot micro bike park on an underused piece of park space that's catering to the three to 10 year old population, kids on striders and just starting. And, uh, you know, took advantage of some leftover bumps that, that were in this park, uh, that, uh, came from rebuilding after a 2014 flood here in the Calgary area. And, uh, we added some berms, some skinnies, uh, ladder, uh, some whoopty-doos and our, uh, our mountain bike ambassador, uh, who pushed that project forward. You know, it's, it's almost ready to, to open. And, you know, we've gone from having this little piece of underutilized space to, with the right vision and, you know, the right partners in the town, we now not only have a, a fantastic pump track, you know, in the middle of our town, we're also starting to put together smaller micro bike parks in places where, where kids can use them and ideally where they can actually bike to get there with their parents and then, you know, reduce the amount of, uh, of driving that they're doing in our town.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 This is great. I mean, you know, for me, these, these bike parks and, and i, I personally, I really like these smaller ones. I think, you know, oftentimes when we, when we think about, uh, you know, these bigger bike park projects, we're thinking about jumps and bridges and all this stuff, but it's, I'm always blown away of the value of a couple of whoop-de-doos, you know, and, and getting those, those Strider bike kids out on, on just a couple of little features that are just not just smooth sidewalk, I think is so valuable and it's great. And and it, it speaks to, I think, getting the rest of the public on board is is something we've spoken about uh, on past episodes where mountain bikers are a bit of a mystery. We, we show up, uh, you know, hopefully we don't drive, but I think uh, we often do. Many of us do. We drive to the trailhead, you know, we, we get out of our vehicles, we're wearing these funny outfits and, and with flashy colors and funny glasses and what have you. And we go off into the woods and we come back a little bit dirtier and a little bit sweatier and, and, usually a smile on our face, but the general public doesn't understand what we're doing out there. And and so with these bike parks, they really kind of get to see that like, oh, this is this is getting kids out. It's getting kids active. Um, and it's hard to kind of uh, say no to, to projects uh, like this.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, you were talking, you know, what came first, uh, you know, mountain biking trails or active transportation. And honestly, what came first was recognizing that really where we are, we're a lifestyle community. People choose to live, you know, here in Cochrane, we're the closest community to the mountains before you get to uh, million dollar homes in, in Canmore. And what we've noticed is that we've got a huge number of uh, of young families and a huge number of very active retirees, you know, who, who choose to make their home here. And we decided to leverage that strength and lean into that to focus on making, you know, more accessible trails, but also more accessible opportunities for for families. You know, one of the projects that we took on last year, at, and I'll, I'll get into more of the trail development, but our events director, our programs director, decided that, you know, there's so many kids who want to ride mountain bikes, but there's a big jump between, hey, I ride my bike around my neighborhood to I want to, you know, ride on trails and I want to, you know, do more mountain biking. And so we started a uh, Mountain Bike Kids Camp as, uh, as a means of getting, getting our kids engaged. And, you know, that camp turned uh, 20 kids from, Hey, I've, I've looked at bikes before. Uh, and we got, you know, PMBIA certified coaches to volunteer their time. And we said like, there's, there's so many kids who are learning how to mountain bike here, but most of them are very privileged might, you know, have no problem with their parents, pay, you know, spending $500 on a kid's camp. We offered our kids camp program basically cheaper than babysitting. And what we found was there's such an appetite for that accessible, you know, learning opportunity for kids on bikes that when we then did uh, a kids enduro race a few weeks ago, we had 80 racers show up w- from ages four to 16 awesome. and almost all of them. It was their first bike race, you know, and what, what was so great from a bike community standpoint is that after, you know, our fast kids finish their race, uh, our, our race director, Ryan, uh, convinced the older kids, he said, look, you've got a lot of young kids here, you know, don't just show up and get a medal when you're done, get back on your bike and, and help these kids climb. And one of I, I was just about in tears, I was so happy to see, you know, one of our 12 year old girls uh pulled, you know, 14 kids, you know, up to the top <laughs> of their last, uh their last downhill, and went back to go talk to her parents and got a towie, and then pulled a couple of kids on their on their strider bikes to get them Amazing. On, you know, and that's, that's what a bike community looks like. All our kids got medals, all the kids got wheel shaped cookies that Ryan's mom made, all the kids got candy bags. And now all those kids are now more confident bikers. And they're now bike advocates to their parents, to their uh, other kids in school, but to everybody around them, they now identify as being a mountain biker, even though they've only done, you know, one race or a couple of kids camps, they're now connected to our community and that they will be, you know, our future of what's going to make us a a more
0: bike friendly community. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, It sounds like there's a lot going on at at Bike Cochrane. How do you kind of manage that capacity? Um, You know, from all the things you've kind of told me, I just think about like, that sounds like a lot of volunteers. It sounds like a lot of people uh, helping out. How do you, how do you kind of deal with that?
1: Yeah that's uh, that's honestly the critical question coming out of our annual general meeting next year or last year and thinking about um you know what do we want to accomplish and how do we get there um one of the things i tried to do last year was actually tabulate some of the hours that I was committing and that our board was committing to, to bike Cochrane, And some of that came from my, my wife calling bike Cochrane my mistress and realizing, okay, I need to be careful <laughs> about managing the amount of time that, you know, all of us put into this society. We all love it, but we all have, you know, work lives and family lives and mm-hmm, need to manage that. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we came out of our AGM saying, you know, we want to go from having zero kilometers of legal bike trails to 12 kilometers which is what we have right now and next year moving up to 35 kilometers of legal official mountain bike trails in our town one of the ways we're getting we have to get there is we have to scale and so in the the role i hold is our active trails director, uh, you know, I started working with some of our volunteers who had shown up for uh, trail builds and uh, trail repair. Um, You know, this one of the ways that we got started here is recognizing that we had, you know, similar to a lot of communities, we had a lot of rogue trails where, you know, our town wasn't quite willing or capable of taking on the maintenance of those trails. And so we looked at a couple of specific areas. And in, in my case, I was riding bikes with my uh, with my eight-year-old at the time, and he, he fell off the trail. It's in a very active riparian zone and fell off the trail into the creek. And I said, this is completely not acceptable in a community that loves the outdoors like Cochrane does. And so we proposed to the town, in that case our parks department, said, look, we're going to fix this, we're going to replace this area, uh, yeah. we're we're gonna block off the the area down towards the riparian zone, we're gonna build a boardwalk, and and so we did, and in in so doing, realized that you know no one in our town is actively managing these trails. Mm. And rather than saying, Somebody needs to step up and do this, we, we said, <laughs> Mike Cochrane. It is somebody and we're Mm -hmm. going to take this on. And so working over the last couple of years with our town, we put together a trail stewardship program. We're now the official legal trail stewards for our town, but recognizing that we're, we have to start that and scale it, you know, in a way Mm -hmm. that's sustainable. Every new area that we take on, we assign a trail steward for that area And then that trail steward is responsible for owning both the 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 mission, the objective, and the tone for that trail area, but also to work with our trail crew leaders who are then responsible to put together the the work projects that'll actually fix up and repair and build new trail for that given zone. And so to your question about scale, we recognized that we needed an organization that could grow with the capacity that we were building in our trails team. And so with that type of an organization where our trails director is responsible for working with our landowners, our trail stewards are responsible for a given area and our trail crew leaders are responsible to actually achieve the goals of what we're trying to do. You know, we've managed to build a trail crew team that's entirely volunteer of 70 volunteers uh, that are now capable and that we've been able to build up, you know, both uh, trail tools, but also a certified capability. You know, we've built up our, our capability and our competency, we sent three of our volunteers to Chainsaw Certification School earlier this year. Uh, We had uh, Jay from Inba Canada come in and do a uh, workshop uh, in combination with us and the Calgary Mountain Bike Association. And we've been able to help build some of our volunteers capacity and competency so that as we're working with our our landowners, uh, you know, we we A, come across as competent, but B, we're actually not just either repairing or building trails that we're just going to have to go back in and fix and spend more of our volunteer time in the future. So, you know, our goal is to be in a spot where we're, you know, developing and, uh, and maintaining trails to a higher, uh, we say insurable standard, but also a standard that means that we're not constantly having to fix up the same trail multiple times so that we can then focus on, you know, making more trails
0: for, yep. for our community. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Here where I am in, in North Vancouver, we have, you know, a problem that I think most mountain bikers wouldn't consider to to be a problem where we have a very, uh, black leaning trail network, lots of blacks you could argue that the blues, if you put them in any other community are probably black diamond trails as well. Um, and, and really a lack of, of green trails and, and it just comes partly from the terrain, partly from, you know those mountain bikers that first started building trails are are obviously advanced mountain bikers and and if you get into mountain biking you become an advanced rider and so we kind of see that that bias of advocacy or or bias from trail builders being towards more advanced features. I I really like maintaining green trails. I I find it challenging uh, and I and I enjoy it. And, and I, I find it very rewarding personally, but we struggle, I think a little bit as an organization to, to really get that kind of engagement. And even when we put out a public trail day and it's on, you know, uh, for example, a trail like Executioner, we get lots of people coming out to that trail, but when you try to get people out to a trail day on something, you know, called roadside attraction, and and you can probably read into the. Trail names of what they're rated. Um, you, we just don't get as much engagement in those, in those areas. Do you find the same way there? And, and does that extend into the active transportation side of things? Like, is there less engagement from the community to advocate for that and more in the, the advanced mountain bike trail network? I think all of those are excellent comments and I I would say
1: that we, you know, as a bike society recognized very early on that, you know, we have some very, very aggressive, uh, very strong competitive national level mountain bike racers living in our community, but that's not how we're going to grow our sport and our community. And what we started realizing very early on, we're, we're we're quite lucky in that we have you know the busiest trailhead in Alberta, you know, a 35 minute drive from here at West Bright Creek. It's some of the best mountain biking trails in Alberta, and they're fantastic. There's really great downhills at at Moose Mountain, and you know, really incredible cross country riding that's you know, green to double black in that area. But you know, what we did you know, early on in 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 surveying our membership is you know we asked people. How often are you leaving our community to, to go ride your bike? And, and what we found was, you know, more than half of the respondents to our survey, and we, you know, three, 400 people respond to our survey. More than half of those respondents said that they're leaving our town to go ride their bike at least once a week. And I look at that data and I say, what a wasted opportunity. Now, granted, I, I'm still going to, even if we've got great trails in our, in our town, I'm still going to go to some of the more destination riding areas. I'm still going to go to Canmore. I'm still going to go to West Bragg. But yeah. if we can develop better trails that are here in our community, That people can actually bike to, rather than having to load up my bike on a on a big rack and you know go for go for a drive before going for a bike ride, I can get more biking done. And you know what we started seeing is that we have so many young families here who want to be able to ride their bikes with their kids. And so you know we I I mentioned that we're now the legal official trail steward for our town in in public land, but we've also entered into Two trail stewardship agreements with private landowners, and the one that's uh, that's particularly exciting uh, that we've been working on is with our our local ag society who owns you know about a section of land right in the center of our town. And we looked at that zone, you know, it's got about 140, 150 meters of elevation. It's uh, it's very centrally located. It's got you know really really neat topography, and we looked at that and said, well. We could absolutely develop some really crazy, you know, black trails. We could have some really kicker jumps. But what do we lack right now in our community is, is green accessible trails. And what we chose to build there is a bikeable space that's green. And we built a trail network there called the Buffalo Bean Trail Network. And as we were, you know, starting that trail, our whole goal was to work towards Any child in Cochrane can actually ride a mountain bike trail anywhere in town without having to get in a car. And the Buffalo Bean Trail Network is the first trail that we built with that as an explicit goal. And because of that, what we found is we have no problem getting volunteers to show up and work on green trails because they they bring their kids like we, we've got people who show up who are great volunteers, wonderful trail builders, and they've got their three-year-old on a strider. You know, the, yeah. the one guy will have a one and a half year old in a backpack as he's building trails <laughs> because he sees the vision that we can make our trails, you know, kid accessible, they can ride after work, you know, they can go do a couple of laps and then and then go off and, and continue their day. Now, we, we, we've also now built a really cool blue flow trail line in there, we've got, you know, goals to build more black there. But our objectives was to start with green, and and open that area up to families first, and then start making it more, you know, accessible to, to higher level riders.
0: Listeners of the podcast will will be very familiar with uh, Jay Darby, and, and Jay's been on a number of episodes, and and with a number of hats on. But most recently, he's he's been with Imba Canada. Uh, what is a what does a guy like Jay do when he when he comes into into Cochrane, uh, with Imba Canada? What's um what's that all about? Sure. No, we've been uh, advocating for Imba Canada to come do a trails workshop in our community
1: here for the last couple of years, and obviously with COVID, it made a lot of things really challenging and so you know late last winter we we finally got uh, got some dates and times aligned with uh, within the Canada to have Jay come out here and our focus for that was uh, really to try to improve uh, as I mentioned competency to get us all speaking the same language you know in terms of how we're going to be developing or you know fixing repairing given trail zone um, the focus of that specific workshop for us is that the uh, the other area that we're working on with a private landowner here, and we, we do have a formal trail stewardship agreement with them now, um, is that it's also in a, in a pretty delicate riparian zone that has natural springs in the area. And one of the things that we wanted to explicitly focus Jay's time on was to help our team better understand options for drainage and better options for overall trail management in a a high flow zone. And even though Southern Alberta isn't necessarily the the wettest place, I mean, your North Shore trails are a much bigger (laughs) challenge to deal with with water. um, What's different here is that because it's an active spring fed riparian zone, it is constantly wet, even if we haven't had rain in 100 days. And so we really wanted to leverage uh, jay and, and AMBA canada's knowledge on how do we make this zone you know more sustainable and how do we make this you know better from the standpoint of both the landowner wanting their trail to be accessible when it's you know quite wet. But, you know, we looked at it and said, even if we're able to improve, you know, that particular section of trail and make it more open, say 30 days or 40 days a year, that's really opening the door for more, you know, introductory bikers and more people to be using that space and uh, also to have much less damage, you know, done on that trail. So, you know, what Jay allowed us to do was to look at a given trail section that we were honestly quite challenged by, we weren't sure what the right solution was. Is it, you know, to build a giant boardwalk system and try to go through there? Is it to try to individually manage and deal with a bunch of, you know, specific drainage issues? And what Jay helped us realize is that all of those are options. It's really just a case of understanding what's your objective in this area. Is this intending to be a green trail? Is this intending to be a blue trail? And then let's work through that trail objective, you know, as a means to understanding what are our users trying to do in this space? What's the landowner's goal? And then, you know, help us come to a better uh, solution there. And so, yeah, we were super happy to have Jay out here. What was also, you know, great as I was able to, to bring Jay to all of our, uh, trails in, in the area. He got to ride it at, at Buffalo bean at our, uh, at, at our new area there. And his comment was Paul, like what's incredible that by Cochran's done here in, in just four years is that you've built a trail right in the middle of town. And he said, every town in BC should have a Buffalo bean. Here's a you know, beginner accessible, wonderful place to ride your bike that kids can bike to safely. Now, we definitely have other challenges in the active transportation front to make that area more accessible, but there's multiple neighborhoods in our, in our town who can send their kids to go bike by themselves when they're 12 years old to go ride at Buffalo Bean. He said every community in BC should have a Buffalo Bean and you guys should be so mm-hmm. proud that you've been able to build yeah. that so quickly.
0: Well, he was I mean, he was so impressed with that. Like he not shortly after that, maybe even that day, he he, you know, sent me a text and said, You gotta talk to these people. They're doing some pretty amazing things in in Cochrane. So it's a it's a testament to I think what you can do when when you've got uh, the right attitude and you're coming at it from, from a really good perspective. I think sometimes I, I envy the newer organizations a little bit because you can kind of start from this, start from scratch and, and really just figure out what is the priority, what do you want to do, rather than trying to turn some of of these organizations that are old ships that uh, that don't like to turn as quickly and pivot, and it's hard to kind of get that uh, that old guard maybe out or or to kind of adjust the focus a little bit. But yeah, he was he was really impressed with with what uh, you've you've done there. What's the what's the plan for the future? What's on the horizon for Bike Cochran? Sure. So as we've been uh, continuing to expand
1: uh, the legal trail network that we have, I mentioned we went from zero kilometers of official legal trail here in town to to 12 kilometers this year and moving towards 35 kilometers next year. We have uh, an active trails uh, plan uh, process that we're working on uh, with our town right now. Uh, We are continuing, like I said, to work with a number of private land holders as well. And you know, our goal is to increase the amount of riding that our members in our town uh, can do here without having to get in a car. So on on the trail side, our, our objective is really to scale up uh, our trail steward program, our trail crew leaders program, build up the the capacity of our trails team to actually get work done and and to continue, you know, down that path both of making the trails that we do have uh better and sustainable but also to be looking at a given space as we get uh trail approval to start looking at, you know, what do we want here? How are we going to build this uh this cool contour trail? How are we going to connect this part of the network? You know, so we've got lots of great ideas in terms of what we want to do on the trail side but i think one of the comments that uh, one of your previous guests uh, dave from valley life recreation said is sometimes the boring work as he called it is the only <laughs> way to move forward you know yeah. jay talked through with us you know the 14 steps of building trails and like the first 12 of those don't involve a shovel and a pick right <laughs> yeah your first yeah. step is you, you have to be willing You know, to spend time, you know, reading and analyzing and understanding, uh, you know, the, the previous, um, programs and the previous. Uh, plans that have been written in your town, understand, uh you know, what, uh, what the neighborhood structure plan in a given area looks like, you know, read your town operating budget and capital budget, uh interview, talk to your town council members and your mayor and understand, you know, how much social capital do you have as your, as your local trails organization, you might be viewed as a real leader in your community, and you're not leveraging that, you know, find out who owns land Near your community and whether their interests overlap with yours for sustainable trail development, uh, one of the private landowners that we were working on uh, with the trail workshop is is right next to our town they 're actually in the neighboring county, but you know they 've got a similar concern that we have is that they 've had people on their private land and they said we don 't want to tell them not to, but we want our land to be more sustainably managed and you know this is a, a wonderful you know local community that that owns um, th- this particular piece of land. But you know, we, we would have thought initially, oh, there's no way we'll be able to build trails with them. But as they saw our passion for sustainable trail management and uh, for the ability to actually make trails that are that are going to help not just people on bikes, but people walking, people running, trail runners, people walking their dogs, they realized that people only care about conserving an area that they can actually experience. And, you know, that's one of the things that's helped us, I think, connect with both public and private landowners is that we're not just bikers, you know, we're we're people who care about conservation, we're people who care about riparian zone management. And yeah, we happen to like riding bikes, but, you know, the piece that brings us all together is realizing that we really value the conservation of open spaces and that we really value what we have in our community and we want to make it better. We don't want to make it worse. And so thinking about the boring work, you know, as Dave was talking about, you know, being able to to look at, you know, what is your town saying that they want to do? And it turns out our town has been saying, you know, we really value neighborhood connectivity. We really value pathway planning. And you look at the last 10 years and our town hasn't built a single new pathway. And I said, okay, well, there's a disconnect between what our elected town officials are saying and what they're actually doing. And, you know, so we've taken that disconnect and help them figure out that there was a gap there. And we built and wrote out of our Active Transportation Committee uh, an Active Transportation Connectivity Gap Analysis and said, look, here are the following 15 projects that are now actually scoped and budgeted, and here's some numbers you can actually put. And this is the difference between having a pretty plan that says, yeah, we want the following things, but there's a big jump between that and actually getting a line item in a budget. And the biggest difference is if you can't scope it and say, how much is this going to cost? It just becomes a nice idea. And so what we were able to do on the active transportation front was turn what was a really pretty plan to an actual uh, infrastructure gap analysis that then led to us working with the town to apply for a million and a half dollars of capital budget funding to start closing the first three of our prioritized active transportation plans. So, you know, continuing along the what's next for bike Cochrane, you know, our goals on the active transportation front is that we believe every student in our town should be able to safely bike, wheel, ride, walk, run to whichever school they go to in a safe way. And, you know, that's one of the things driving us, you know, I talked about our objective on the trail side that every kid in Cochrane should be able to ride a trail without having to drive. Similarly, on the active transportation front, our objective is that all kids can safely choose to actively get to school of their own power. And you know those are two major objectives that keep driving us forward and keep helping us find both gaps in our neighborhood connectivity plan, gaps in our downtown and school connectivity plan, but also you know, opportunities for us to continue expanding our trail network in our community. One piece that I would like to add is a, a shout out and a huge thanks to uh, the 670 Collective, uh, which is a bike society based in Medicine Hat, Alberta, uh, who's really become our mentor club. Uh, When we first started looking at the trails uh, projects here in our town, we we found it was really overwhelming. And we said, I don't know what this looks like. How do we get the town talking to us? How do we figure out uh, what a legal structure looks like? How do we get uh, proper trails uh, insurance? What what does this look like? How do we fund things? And uh, you know, Blaine and the, the guys from Six Seventy Collective, you know, made time for us and said, you know, here, uh, you know, I'll share a Google Doc that we, we use for our um, for our tailgate uh, crew discussion, and here I'll share a starter trail stewardship agreement that we that we wrote and that we leveraged and used for a, a couple of our trail stewardship agreements starting templates. Um, so, you know, I'd say if you're a, a young bike society and you're trying to figure out, you know, how to make your 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 town or your community better. Find a mentor club, you know find a group that's close to you that's done something similar, and reach out to them and say, you know please I want to hear your story, please help me understand you know what was successful, what do you not want to do? what are the things that you you know that you've learned that better things to avoid and so you know i would want to uh from by Cochrane really say thanks to the six seventy collective uh to Inba canada for for connecting us and uh, you know to to organizations like like that, who are willing to make time uh, to help uh, new societies figure out their legs and their direction.
0: That's great. How can folks uh, stay connected with Bike Cochrane?
1: Sure. Yeah, we're super active on uh, Instagram. Uh, anytime we're doing uh, do and and Facebook for that matter. Anytime we're doing trails uh, work, it, it's amazing how much uh, the social media community is is connected to seeing improvements in our trail. Every time we post, you know, photos of having volunteers out and fixing a particular piece of section, the amount of engagement we get from people saying, "Wow, I love running in that area, and I kept falling down that trail." You know, thanks for making it safer. I can now use it through the winter. You know, so we're, we're super active. On we've got a great social media coordinator um, who, who helps us get our message out, uh, both on, on social media, but also on our website. We've updated bikecochran.com to have both uh, a better sense of what we're actually doing, not just aspirationally, but, you know, the actual uh, research we've done in active transportation, our Strava data that we've been working with Strava Metro and our bike counter data that we're using to help us understand, you know, what our bike to school program is going to be. So we've got a pretty actively updated uh, website, but also on, on social media. And, you know, please a uh, message to all of your, uh, all of your members and everybody who's listening. Uh, you know, Cochrane and, and Southern Alberta is turning into a really great place to ride bikes. I'd encourage anybody listening, reach out to, you know, trails at bikecochrane.com. And if you're in our area, I'll happily show you around and show you what we're working on here and give you the same type of a trails tour that we gave to, to Jay Darby from Imba Canada.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's great. Well, Paul, thank you so much for taking the, the time to to chat with me. I, I think it's really exciting everything that that's going on there and I, I look forward to kind of keeping keeping an eye on things and keeping a you know just seeing what uh, what comes in the future
1: perfect thanks brent thanks again for all the work that you do and getting the message out uh you know about how hard it is in some cases to uh, to build trails and to develop communities but also you know how satisfying it is and how great it is to be connecting our communities and our families and our kids and getting them excited
0: about riding bikes awesome thanks paul This episode of the podcast was recorded on the traditional territory of the tsleil Squamish, Musqueam, and Stolo nations. My guests join me from the traditional territory of the Blackfoot, Stony, Tuna ha, and the Sutina. If you're curious to learn more about the traditional territory that you occupy and recreate on, then visit native-lands.ca. Like always, you can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. You can also join the Facebook group at Advocates on the Frontlines of MTB. And you can send me an email or audio file to info at frontlinesmtb.com. You can stream the show on Mountain Bike Radio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. And if you haven't done so already, leave a review on wherever you get the show. It helps others find the podcast. Thank you again to Kyle, Jacob, and Drew for supporting the show via PayPal. Don't forget to support the show. You can find a link to that in the show notes. In the show notes, you'll also find links to Bike Cochrane. A huge thanks to my guest, Paul Perot for joining me. Music, as always, is by Lee Rosevear, production notes by Jennifer Pride, artwork is created by Brendan Gallagher-Watson and BGW Creative, and a big thanks to Ben Wellneck and the team at Mountain Bike Radio for their continued support. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier, this is Frontlines, thanks for listening, and happy trails.